Welcome to the fourth episode of the History of Christianity. In this episode, we're going to look at Jesus, the early years. When it comes to the birth of Jesus, we have two accounts, one in Matthew and one in Luke. Matthew gives the story from Joseph's perspective and Luke from Mary's perspective. These are independent but compatible accounts of the birth of Jesus. Both include a message from the angel Gabriel, and both describe the virgin birth. In Matthew's account, Joseph planned to divorce Mary quietly. Although Joseph and Mary were not formally married, the type of engagement in that culture required a divorce in order to break it off. An explanation from Gabriel put an end to those plans. Many critics see the virgin birth as purely mythological. It's claimed that many pagan gods and heroes were virgin-born, and the story of Jesus is simply copied from them. However, a closer examination of those pagan virgin births demonstrate that they are rarely such a thing. Rather, the god is conceived through sexual intercourse, either between two gods or a god and a mortal. There's not even a hint in the gospel accounts that Jesus was conceived by sex between God and Mary. Unlike the pagan myths, the God of the Bible does not have a body. Rather, Jesus is conceived by special creation through the power of the Holy Spirit. If Matthew and Luke were not inspired by stories of pagan virgin births, is there another reason why they might have invented the virgin birth of Jesus? Some would say that they invented it because of an Old Testament prophecy about the virgin birth of the Messiah. After all, Matthew 1.22 specifically states that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. Was the invention of the virgin birth required to prove that Jesus was the Messiah? The problem with this is that the sign of Emmanuel was given to King Ahaz in the 8th century BC. The original prophecy was that within a couple of years of this child's birth, Ahaz would be free from his enemies. This child was born during Ahaz's reign. Not only that, the Hebrew word that's used in Isaiah means more of a young woman than a technical virgin. There's no reason to believe that the child born during Ahaz's reign was virgin born. So why did Matthew see Jesus as fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah? And where did he get the word virgin? The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the Greek word for virgin. In this passage, Matthew saw something greater than its original fulfillment centuries before. This Emmanuel, who had been dead for over 700 years, was in some way a type of Jesus. The point is that Isaiah 7.14 did not require a virgin birth for the Messiah. The only way someone would read Isaiah that way was as if Jesus was really virgin-born, and then to look back at Isaiah 7.14 is the prophetic language to describe it. The point is that neither Matthew nor Luke had any reason to invent the virgin birth. What do we know about Jesus? He was born to Mary and Joseph. Joseph was a descendant of King David. Some have asked how this could benefit Jesus if Jesus was not Joseph's biological son. We need to realize that adoption created very strong bonds in the ancient world, strong enough for a royal lineage. An examination of the Roman emperors will demonstrate that often the new emperor was the adopted son and not the biological son of the previous emperor. Jesus' relationship with Joseph was enough to make Jesus also the son of David. Joseph was from Nazareth, but was required to travel to Bethlehem during a census. 
likely because he owned property in Bethlehem. Although tradition says that Joseph and Mary stayed in a stable because there was no room in the inn, the Greek word is not the normal one for an inn. It's better translated as home or guest room. Christmas pageants often merge the accounts of Matthew and Luke, but that's not entirely accurate. We shouldn't see all of this as happening on the same night. Probably the angels and shepherds were present first, and the arrival of the wise men sometime later. Please note that Matthew doesn't say that there were only three wise men, only that there were three gifts. They may have been magi from Persia. Herod the Great was informed by these magi of the birth and attempted to prevent the future king by killing the babies in Bethlehem. This action is consistent with what we know about Herod from other sources. He was paranoid and violent. He did not hesitate to kill anyone he saw as a threat, including his own children. One of the distinctives about Luke is his interest in male-female pairs. This is true about the birth of Jesus as well. There is good reason to believe that Jews at this time believed that the spirit of prophecy, that is, the Holy Spirit, was no longer available. And yet there are two people who prophesy by the Spirit before Jesus was born, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and two people who prophesy by the Spirit after Jesus' birth, Simeon and Anna. We know that Jesus was raised in the town of Nazareth in Galilee. We read in Luke 4 how after Jesus began his ministry that he returned to Nazareth. Unfortunately, the people of his hometown rejected him, perhaps an example of the proverb that familiarity breeds contempt. Some have claimed that Nazareth did not exist during the time of Jesus, and that this is an example of historical problems with the Gospels. However, archaeological discoveries have demonstrated that Nazareth was inhabited during the time of Jesus. The modest nature of the remains of this small town fit with the New Testament description. We know next to nothing about Jesus' childhood. The only story we have is the story of the 12-year-old Jesus visiting the Jerusalem temple in Luke 2. Later Christians were very curious about the early years of Jesus, and they created a new genre of the infancy gospels. These were stories of Jesus as a child, and one of the best examples is the infancy gospel of Thomas. This story portrays Jesus as a precocious young boy, but with divine powers. Young Jesus even miraculously kills a boy for bumping into him. Interestingly, some of the miracles from this book make it into the Quran. There's no reason to believe that any of these stories in the infancy gospels are based on fact. What did Jesus do before he began his ministry around the age of 30? In Mark 6.3, we're told that Jesus was a carpenter. But is this correct? The Greek word simply means a worker of wood or stone. Jesus could have been a stonemason for all we know. What seems certain is that he was a skilled laborer of some sort. The beginning of Jesus' ministry seems to take place with his baptism. As we saw in our episode on John the Baptist, this was a baptism of repentance. But if Jesus was sinless, as Christians believe, why did Jesus get baptized? The most likely explanation was that he was standing with Israel in their repentance. He was repenting not of his own sins, but the sins of his people. This is a theme that's found throughout the Old Testament. One of the interesting aspects of Jesus' baptism is that it was a Trinitarian event. Obviously, Jesus the Son was there, but we also find God the Father speaking words of approval and the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus. 
I believe that it was only at this point that Jesus was able to perform miracles. He did not perform miracles because his body had supernatural powers, but because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is confirmed by the fact that his disciples were able to perform similar miracles by the power of the Spirit. Thank you for listening to this episode. I encourage you to check out my website at hopesreason.com. Thank you and God bless.